So we're continuing in our series, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we are um, really doing part two in this particular part of this chapter. Uh, we're going to be um, looking at, uh, starting at verse 12, and last week we talked about the subject of sex, and we, Paul's been addressing different topics, and he addresses, um, really, um, the, the Corinthians had a very casual view of sex, and Paul addresses that head-on um, by appealing to some deeper theological truths or ideas. We looked at one of those last week. We're going to look at two of those today, but let me go ahead and read um, this passage again. It's the same passage we were in last week, although we're going to focus on a different part of the passage today. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word. Like I said last week, when um, I, I love how we don't have to force the Bible to be relevant. We don't have to get overly creative um, with, with trying to decide what we talk about here. If we, if we trust your scriptures, we will come across passages like the one we're, we're in today and the one we were in last week where, where Paul's addressing an issue that we have in our culture. They had it in their culture. He's addressing, addressing the issue of, of, of sex. And so I pray you give us wisdom today and um, this issue that affects all of us in some way. I pray that you would uh, allow us to submit ourselves to your word, trusting that it's your words, your very words to us to give us life. So I pray this morning your spirit would move in our minds, in our hearts, and it would change the way we live as we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I, you may be thinking, well, why do, we, why do we want to spend two weeks on this particular topic? And I think it's important because it, this topic affects all of us. And like I mentioned last week, I don't think the church and Christians at large have done a great job of talking and teaching about sex in at least in the recent past, in my lifetime, for what I can remember. Remember, we we tend to oftentimes avoid it and just not talk about it because it can be awkward, it can be hard, it can bring up questions that maybe we don't feel quite equipped to answer. Um, but I think when we start talking about it, oftentimes we talk about it in such a way that brings shame and guilt uh, upon people who have wounds and baggage um, in this area. And what that does, it ends up um, creating people who hide. 
creating people who are so shamed by their, by their sexual brokenness that they don't come um, bring that into the light and get healing for that. Now, I've been doing ministry for almost two decades now, and actually over two decades if you count really informal ministry. Um, but, and so when, we, when this, this topic of sex comes up, when we are talking with, when I'm meeting with someone or talking with other people, um, typically, the, oftentimes I should say, the, the reaction is one of, of kind of almost disbelief. Like, would God really, it's almost um, Eve in the, in the garden kind of, or, or Satan talking to Eve in the garden saying, did God really say that? Is God really that stuffy when it comes to sex? Is God really that... Um, regressive when it comes to sex. So um, clear kind of things that come out in ministry context, like um, no sex outside of marriage, right? If you've grown up in the church, we've, we've heard that a lot, no sex outside of marriage, and, and that is true. And, and so I've, as I've counseled, um, especially couples who are, are maybe serious in the church and, and maybe they're even engaged in the church, that is a difficult thing for them. And some of them don't take it seriously. They're like, hey, I'm in love. I'm going to spend the rest of my life anyway with this person. Hey, it's okay at this point. You have other ones, things that we talk about, like, like not looking at pornography or not looking lustfully upon another person sexually, right? And so these are things that when we think about them, um, we, we oftentimes, I think, doubt God's goodness or ask, well, why God would you have us not do these things? And I think here's the problem, right? When, whenever we think about these things, there's a certain amount of pleasure associated with these things, or they wouldn't be a problem. Like, they wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't a certain amount of pleasure involved in them. So when those things come face-to-face with, with us, and we're all tempted in some shape or form in this area, I believe, um, how can we believe in that moment that God is for us? That those things we read about, those things we've heard in the church, they're for our good. They're for our freedom. They're for our joy. And that ultimate freedom and joy are found in walking out God's design and purpose for sex. Now, I think one of the ways that we can trust God in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when we really need to withstand the temptation and we really find ourselves thinking about this topic, one of the things, one of the ways we can trust God is to understand why he has such a high view of sex. He has a very high view of sex, which was the Corinthians' problem, right? Paul's like, you are treating this thing too casually. This is just about this physical pleasure for you, about having your own needs met, and there's such a bigger picture to this idea of sex. So let me give you kind of a roadmap where we're at. Last week, we had part one. This week's part two. And then next week, we're going to talk about marriage, which he gets into in chapter seven. And then towards the end of chapter seven, he addresses singleness and some other issues we're going to get involved in as well. And these, the, these two sermons, last week and today, are connected to next week. So the ideas that we're going to talk about today and the one we addressed last week directly um, affects how we think about marriage. Okay, So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen or watch it. It is connected to this week and the next two weeks um, as we move through this book. Now, last week, the main kind of idea that Paul addressed to kind of combat this, this, uh, this practice of them um, per- being very promiscuous, spending um, very freely uh, sleeping with prostitutes, right? he addresses this idea of our union with Christ. He says, if you've been united to Christ, if Christ is in you, 
Christ has united himself to you, how can you then go unite yourselves with a prostitute, someone who isn't your husband or wife? How can you do that? And we mentioned this statement that one commentator said last week is that you, you can't um, leave Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you can't leave Jesus out of a sexual encounter. Whether that's with your body, whether that's with your mind, whether that's with your thoughts, like we bring Jesus into all of our life. If we are united with him, he's covenant together to, be, to, to, to live in union with us. And so let's look at verse, we're going to start in verse 18 today. Again, they, they, he's, he's talked about kind of prostitution being his jumping off point into talking about this. So we're kind of towards the end of this passage. And we looked at verse 18 last week, and this is, this is the first really command we see, the first thing that Paul is asking us to do. Verse 18, he says, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. First idea there, flee, that's a strong word, right? It's not, hey, kind of move away slowly or sneak away or just kind of don't worry about it. He says, no, flee. Get out of there. Run. Put distance between you and the thing that's, that's causing you danger. He says to flee. Then he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is a, a really a, a verse we could pick apart for the rest of our time today, but ultimately what this means is, is that when we commit sexual sin, because of our union with Jesus as Christians, it, uh, the consequences are different. The consequences are, are felt deeper than any other sin. Or Paul wouldn't highlight this verse here saying there's something different about sexual sin as it relates to our bodies. That doesn't mean we should feel more shame or more guilt or more condemnation because of this sin. I don't, we don't want to make us hide these sins even more than we're prone to do now. But I think Paul is just saying again to the, the Corinthians who had this casual view of it. He's saying this affects you. This kind of sin is not a sin to be messed around with. Okay, but on the ground, so he tells him to flee, but then right after this, he gives him two reasons. So last week, we talked about our union with Christ being one of the reasons, and then here are two more reasons why we should flee, and these all fall the, uh, under the umbrella that what we do with our body matters. What we do with our body, bodies as followers of Jesus matter, one, because of our union with Christ as Christians, and now here are the two other ones. First one, he talks about our body being a temple. Let's look at verse 19. Or do you not know, or let me remind you, Paul says, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. So he's saying that God gives us the Holy Spirit when we become followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, our bodies become a temple. Our bodies become the dwelling place of uh, the Holy Spirit, the person of God, the spirit of Jesus, one, a third of the Trinity, right? Like this is, this is who we are. We house the Holy Spirit. And this is a theme throughout all of the scripture. You think about in Jerusalem where the temple, right? The temple was, was the, the place of the living presence of God. God actually lived in one place, and that was in the Holy of the Holiest. The, the inner sanctums of the temple was where the Holy Spirit, uh, was where God lived. God lived there, and, and we, if you know your Old Testament, you know how much time 
and effort was put into just building the temple. And then you have the sacrificial system and how um, the, the, the Jewish people were to, to interact with the temple and everything they had to do before they would come in to the temple. So this is a theme we see throughout the scriptures. See, where, the, where, where God's present it, presence is, that thing is considered holy. It's considered special. It's considered valuable, not in and of itself necessarily, but primarily because it housed the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians, in, ne- in Paul's next letter that he um, sends to the church in Corinth, he says, now the this, now this Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what he is saying here is he is saying that... Um, that where the Spirit lives, where the Spirit dwells with his people, there is a measure of freedom. And this is really, really good news. So at the same time we are holy, we have this place where the Spirit dwells, we also have freedom because we have the Spirit inside of us. And this is a good, good thing. Let's keep going. So, so we have the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is, again, a reason why our bodies are important, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Next, you are not your own. It's going to end of verse 19 on to verse 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So the Spirit lives inside of us, and he's saying we are God's possession. And he bought us with a price. He he owns us to some degree. And at the cross, Jesus purchased, purchased us out of slavery, out of our sin, out of our bondage to sin. Jesus bought us. He purchased us. And so our bodies have value. They have value anyway because we're made in the, in the image of God. But they have infinitely more value because Jesus bought us, all of us, our bodies included. And the scriptures tell us that apart from the shedding of blood, and we see this in the Old Testament, especially in the sacrificial system, apart from the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus tells us that life is in the blood. That's a statement there when, he, when he's unpacking um, some of the, the, the rules and processes for the sacrificial system, meaning that, that the, the, the life is in the blood of a creature of God. When God creates someone, life is in the blood, which is why when you look at the sacrificial system, the shedding of blood, the sacrificing of an animal was always front and center because there was something special about the blood and the atoning for God's people's sins. Listen to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. This is Paul in another letter kind of echoing this. In him, we have redemption. We all get that as followers of Jesus. We hear, we hear that word redemption, to redeem, through his blood. So redeem, we're redeemed through the blood, Paul tells us. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And he just goes on and on, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. But the, the highlight there is verse 7 where he says, we have redemption through his blood. It gets so specific. Yes, it's through the cross. Yes, it's through the resurrection. But Paul drills down even to the blood. We have redemption through the blood. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Listen to the words here. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And we could, he would say the same thing to us now if you're a Christian. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure, treasured possession. There it is again. He, we, we belong to him. He owns us out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any people, or, you, or he's saying more powerful or, or, more, or had more notoriety that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Like you were least deserving of this. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And this was the, the pinnacle moment of God's people of redemption in the Old Testament, right? The, the, when, when, when God rescues them from slavery under Pharaoh, he, he saves them, he brings them out, and that's what the Exodus is all about. So God is pointing back to the redemption that they found in the Exodus. And we remember before they were to flee, to flee Egypt, um, that they, what they do, they killed a lamb, put it on the doorposts. When the angel of death came through Egypt, he passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. Once again, you see the blood there. The shedding of blood covered the sins, covered the, the punishment that would have came upon God's people. Revelation 5, 9, and this is just a, a, a beautiful passage thinking about the future of something that will be sung around the throne in the future. Revelation 5, 9. Listen to this. Again, this idea of, of the blood. Worthy, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, talking about Jesus here, and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So I want to highlight this idea that we were purchased, we were bought, we are, we are God's possession now. So again, what we do with our bodies matters. Like I mentioned last week, not just in, in, in our sexuality, it matters in how we worship, how we work, how we go about our day in and day out activities, how we treat our bodies. All of those things are wrapped up in this idea that our bodies matter. So our bodies matter because they're, they're homes for the Spirit, if we're, Jesus, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, and that we are bought with a price, a price that has been laid down for us. And the biggest, one of the biggest narratives that the people um, reading this uh, probably would have picked up on, um, especially from a Jewish back, background, would have been the, uh, the, the narrative in the Old Testament of the prophet Hosea. You remember Hosea, know the story. Hosea was a prophet, and God came to Hosea and told him to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. And God sets this up where it would be a picture, this kind of, it would be a, an acted out um, kind of scenario where God could communicate what his relationship was like with his people. So God asked the prophet to do this almost to be an example of who he was like to the people. And if you remember, Gomer's there, she's a prostitute, she's in the brothel. Gomer goes in there, I mean, uh, 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 Jose goes in there, kind of purchases her, brings her out, welcomes her into his home, and then she ends up running back to the brothel. She, go, she turns her back on um, Hosea, goes back to the brothel, goes back to her former way of living, selling her body for, uh, for money, so uh, men could um, uh, seek pleasure in that. Imagine if you were Hosea. Like, just from a human point of view, imagine you were Hosea. God comes to you, tells you first to go marry a prostitute, 
And then the prostitute rejects him, goes back to the old lifestyle, and then God says, no, you need to go, you need to go chase her. You need to go buy her back. You need to go back and get her. And so, again, he's trying to act out his relationship with Israel. He wants them to see what their relationship was like. And you can just imagine Hosea going back to, to get Gomer. And Gomer's probably, they probably pull her out and put her up on some blocks, probably naked, so everybody around there can kind of see what they're buying. And people, probably, she's probably not the only one. There's probably others there uh, that are being bought um, to be prostitutes for people. Pro- prob- and, and so you can imagine the, how um, Hosea being so um, shamed going into that place. This is the guy who actually had his wife leave him to go back to being a prostitute. I wonder what kind of man this is for Gomer to do that to him. So he walks back in, and you can imagine the bidding starts on her, and she hears five shekels. Ten shekels, and it's a familiar voice. And then it says, I believe the scriptures say 15 shekels. She sold back to Hosea, and Hosea comes to her to take her home. To take her home. So you don't, and you can see the verses up here. And the Lord said to me, Go again. This is God telling Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, do they. Turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins. This was an, an object of worship um, for um, people that weren't p- pagan people of the day. So you can imagine Hosea going back in there, buys Gomer back. Gomer, and what do you think Gomer would have thought in that moment? Coming back with her head down, just kind of fearful of what, Go- of what Hosea would do to her. But Hosea basically says in the air, come back home. Come back home. Come back to where you belong. Come back to where you're loved, you're cared for, you're protected, you're under some kind of covenant with me. Come back home to me. And again, God, you see from that verse, God is showing the people of Israel the kind of love he has for his people. Because in the gospel scenario, Jesus is the one on the blocks, right? He goes and stands on the blocks to redeem us. God puts forth Jesus to buy us back, to to bring us back into relationship with him. Jesus is the center of this story. Now, this idea of, of fleeing. If we knew we were Gomer here, right? We were Gomer and we were loved this much. That we were loved even in the pit of our sin. When we were wrapped up the strongest in our sin God still loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to redeem us back. That was the price God paid for us. Now let's hear Paul's words again. Flee sexual immorality. Hopefully that takes a different, it's not God being um, regressive, God being a cosmic killjoy, God trying to take all your your freedom and joy away from in in this area of sexual immorality. No. Saying, that's not good for you. You've tried that. You've done that. I bought you for a price. Come back. Live here. Trust me. Flee sexual immorality. Now we think about this idea of running or fleeing, and I just want us to stop and give you some time to think about what is that for you? What do you need to flee? What do you need to run from? What do we need to, to, to not just, maybe we're, maybe we're kind of avoiding it or we're 
we're, we're uh, trying to, 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 to um, maybe we're just kind of messing around with it or we're setting it aside for a little bit. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says flee. What do we need to flee from? What do you need to flee from? And what are you going to do? What are your first steps in order to flee? Now, the, the last kind of line here that Paul says, and this is, he's saying flee as one command. Now, his other, so this is the application. Number one, flee. Number two, he ends with, so glorify God in your body. Fleeing was kind of the negative way of the, 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 the command. This is the positive. We flee and we glorify God with our body. We tell God's story with our sexuality. There's a lot of other ways we tell God's story, but in this particular context, we tell God's story with our sexuality. What, what is he like? He's a faithful and loving God. He's faithful to the commitments he makes. He doesn't leave his bride. He's faithful to her. God is holy. And so when we, when we see this with our sexuality, we need to also walk as he walked. We need to be faithful in our sexuality. We need to remember that we are united to him, that he's loved us, that he's called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. He loves us. So we glorify God by telling his story through our sexuality, by remaining faithful. And we have to remember that we, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for him. So we want to honor and glorify him with our bodies, how we view our bodies, how we treat our bodies in the area of sexuality. And we'll get into more of this in marriage next week, but really this is, this is why marriage is so important because it's a picture. It's actually a, a narrative. Ephesians 5, he gives to us. This is how we're telling the gospel story and how we relate to one another as husband and wife. And we'll unpack that completely next week. But that's the context for faithfulness when it comes to sex. That's the appropriate place um, to, to, to experience sex as God has designed it because it's a part of telling his story. It's a story he wants to tell to the world. So the, the question I think comes into, well, how do we do this, right? This is hard. This is hard for me, right? This is a battle for me, right? To, to remain sexually pure. It's probably a matter, a battle for a lot of you to, to, to be faithful to what God's called us to do with our bodies in the area of sexuality. So I want to leave you with two things, two things that will help us move towards this, right? One, that first, the first theological idea we talked about today is we have the spirit. We have the spirit, and that is really, really good news, we have the power to overcome. We have the power to not be enslaved to our sin. We have the power to, to be able to break the bonds of our sin. We have the power to overcome sin because the Holy Spirit is in us. So it's not just a temple for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually uh, comes out of us and empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. That's a part of the gospel. And then we remembered that idea that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we have freedom through his grace and his mercy. So when we do fail, which we're all going to do that, we're all going to fail in this area. We shouldn't be controlled by sin in this area. But when we fail, we have redemption. Why? Because he's bought us. He owns us. He bought us with a price, a price that, that will, will never be tarnished, will never be a go, go away. It's his son. It is finished, the scriptures tell us. And like Gomer, we know when Hosea welcomed her back home. God welcomes us into his family, and he will never set us aside. 
Even when we fail, he is with us because that's the kind of love he has for us. He's a covenant-keeping God, and he loves us because we have the Holy Spirit and because he has bought us with a price. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. I pray more than anything this morning that you would help us see the beauty and the design that you have for our sexuality, that we don't have to get nervous when we talk about this. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to be shameful because of maybe past mistakes in this area. That we can live in the light, as we talked about in our confession time today, we can live in the light. Because we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and we need to, we need to confess, we need to continue to, to be aware of that. But we also remember that we're not our own. We're, we're your possession. You're our Father. You love us as children. And we can come to you when we fail. We can come to you and say, I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up. I need help. I need your spirit to help me in this area. I pray you would help us remember that as we move into a time of communion and remembering the gospel. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.